I'm here to sound the alarm. America's elections are at risk. That's funny. I'm here for the same reason, Senator. Nice to see you. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with the you. Pacifica Radio Network in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, uh, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, oh, we're going to talk about you, Pennsylvania, on WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Not that the uh, planet needs a blanket today, (laughs) Desi Doyen. No, definitely not. It's hot enough. So just a quick public service announcement over your public airwaves. Thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to support our efforts to perform such public services. 32-year-old, 32-year-old former New York Giants offensive lineman and Super Bowl winner Mitch Petras died of heat stroke after working outside in triple-digit temperatures in his native Arkansas, officials said on Friday. The high temperature in Little Rock on Thursday was 92 degrees, but the heat index was 103 degrees as the city, like much of the nation, right now is struggling through a brutal and now deadly heat wave. The Pulaski County coroner said Petrus was working at his family's shop outside and suffered heat stroke. He was drinking water, but not enough electrolytes, according to the coroner. Petrus did not appear to have any serious pre-existing medical conditions that contributed to his heat stroke death, according to the coroner. So if a 32-year-old NFL athlete could succumb to the record heat wave now sweeping dozens of states with triple-digit heat indexes for the next several days, please, please keep that in mind. Stay hydrated, drink as much water as you can, and... 
Uh, apparently, something with electrolytes like Gatorade or something, if you're going to be outside for any appreciable amount of time. But please do not stay outside for any appreciable amount of time. If you can help it for the next several days, please. We need everyone healthy out there. Thus ends the public service announcement from Dr. Brad. Okay. I'm, I'm required to say, by the way. I'm not an actual doctor, but uh, <laughs> Dr. Desi, you have a thought? Who is also not an actual doctor, but I will say also, please do check in on your friends, your family, and especially your neighbors, like your elderly neighbors and friends and family. They may not ask for help. They may not realize that they're in trouble. So, you know, just make sure you check in on them and get them to a cooling center or some air conditioning, uh, because this is pretty brutal and, um, and we want everybody to be okay. The National Weather Service in Nebraska posted a photo of biscuits that they were baking inside a hot car to give mm. you an idea of how hot it is outside and how dangerous closed-up cars are. She's not a uh, an actual doctor, but she is a registered nurse. So uh, <laughs> no, thank I'm you not. very much for that, Nurse Doyen. Um, Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps said it had seized a British-flagged oil tanker in the Strait of Hormuz. Today, amid mounting concerns over oil shipment disruptions in the Persian Gulf, Friday's development in the region, this according to the Wall Street Journal, came hours after a court in the British territory of Gibraltar extended the detention of an Iranian oil tanker that was seized by British authorities who said that it was breaching European sanctions on Syria. Most of the headlines I saw today discussing Iran seizing a British tanker did not note that Britain had seized an Iranian tanker first. Tensions, of course, have been rising in the Middle East since spring. Uh, when the Trump administration ramped up sanctions to sever Iranian oil exports and forced Tehran to renegotiate, over its nuclear program and military activities after Trump unilaterally violated the landmark seven-nation anti-nuclear treaty that was struck with Iran by Barack Obama. Uh, Trump pulled the U.S. out of that uh, treaty in May of last year. In turn, Iran has started enriching uranium beyond levels that were agreed to in that 2015 accord with world powers. I said he pulled out of the treaty that was uh, struck with Iran by Barack Obama. I should have maybe said he pulled out because it was struck by Barack Obama, because he's a petulant little child, Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. <laughs> Even as Washington and Tehran both insist they don't want war, recent skirmishes now have raised fears of a miscalculation that could lead to a wider armed conflict in the Middle East. In uh, Washington, White House National Security Advisor Garrett Marquis said that the U.S. was aware of reports of the latest seizure. He said this is the second time in just over a week the U.S., I'm sorry, the U.K. has been the target of escalatory violence by the Iranian regime. But, of course, he did not mention that U.K. had seized an Iranian vessel, uh, at least in his quoted remarks uh, there are no reports of violence, but that's how uh, U.S. officials are, are apparently uh, willing to describe it. Friday's developments followed Iran's rejection of the U.S. assertion on Thursday night that the U.S. Navy had downed one of its drones in the Strait of Hormuz a day after several close encounters between American warships and the Iranian military in the vital oil shipping route uh, had further raised tensions between the nations. Abbas Arachi, uh, Ara 
Iran's deputy foreign minister said on Twitter, We have not lost any drone in the Strait of Hormuz nor anywhere else. He said, I am worried that the USS Boxer has shot down their own drone by mistake. President Trump and senior administration officials dismissed those claims. National Security Advisor John Bolton said there was, quote, no question that the downed drone was, in fact, Iranian and was posing a threat to U.S. personnel. A senior administration official said that the Pentagon had, quote, very clear evidence that the U.S. downed the Iranian drone but didn't provide further details. So they have very clear evidence. They just wouldn't show it to us. Uh, A defense official said the U.S. had not recovered the drone either. Trump on Thursday said the USS Boxer, an an, uh, amphibious assault ship, took defensive action against a drone that was flying too close to it. Trump said, we shot it down. But U.S. defense officials would not say how the Iranian drone was downed, if in fact it was downed. But one official said it was an electronic measure. Not shot it down, but somehow brought it down. The U.S. Marine Corps within the past year has uh, reportedly begun to deploy a system that can detect drones and jam the signal that connects them to their remotely located pilots, forcing them to crash. So who to believe? I don't know. In the past, while I'm always skeptical of everyone, including the U.S., I might have given the benefit of the doubt on this to the United States, but given the administration we now have in place, I see no reason to believe anything they say about anything short of independently verifiable evidence to prove it. So in this case, I might give the benefit of the doubt uh, on this drone business, frankly, to Iran at this point. But ultimately, we don't know. All I do know is that what had been improving relations with Iran have now been all but scuttled by Donald Trump because he was told on Fox News that Barack Obama's treaty with Iran was no good, when in fact it was quite good and had prevented them from being able to enrich enough uranium to make a weapon and had restored some semblance of reasonably peaceful oil sales in the Persian Gulf. But now all bets are off, especially... If things don't go well for Donald Trump next week, when former special counsel Robert Mueller testifies to two U.S. House committees on Wednesday. So uh, I would advise buckle up. Uh, But of course, that also demonstrates the necessity of removing this president from office as soon as humanly possible one way or another. And if Democrats in Congress cannot get their act together enough to remove an unfit, incompetent, dangerous, racist felon from office, it looks like it's going to have to be up to we the people again uh, to do it next year at the ballot box. But that may not be as easy as it should be either. Back in May of this year, Oregon Senator Ron Wyden introduced the Protect America's Voting and Elections Act, the PAVE Act, announcing it on Twitter uh, at the time that it was meant to secure America's elections from hackers and foreign interference. It includes, and it is the only bill in the uh, Senate, to my knowledge, to include this, a mandate for hand-marked paper ballots for every voter. Not just a a paper ballot or a paper trail or a paper backup as Minnesota senator and presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar maddeningly continues to call for. But this is the only actually verifiable way to cast a vote 
with a hand-marked paper ballot. And Wyden, in his introductory video, when he first introduced the PAVE Act, even used that phrase twice. I'm here to sound the alarm. America's elections are at risk. In 2016, Russia ran a wide-ranging campaign to interfere in our elections and undermine the will of the American people. Free and fair elections are the bedrock of our democracy. It is up to the federal government, however, to protect them. Since 2016, I've been calling on lawmakers around the country to get serious about securing our elections. This week, I'm taking an even bolder step by introducing my Protecting American Votes and Elections Act. It's also known as the PAVE Act. The PAVE Act will require hand-marked paper ballots for all federal elections, and it'll require risk-limiting audits. Cyber and election security experts agree that these concrete steps are desperately needed to help safeguard our elections against hackers and those who would interfere. It also sets, for the first time, strong cybersecurity standards for federal elections. It gives the states the funds they need to scrap these outdated, insecure voting machines. These insecure voting machines are catnip for hackers. Now, there's growing momentum in our country to implement paper ballots and increase our election security. No American should have to fear that their vote is being tampered with or lost. I am totally committed to defending our elections in America. And I am not going to stop fighting until Congress passes my bill to make hand-marked paper ballots the law of the land. Thank you, Senator Wyden. Hand-marked paper ballots. Got that, Senator Klobuchar? Now, uh, so, you know, maybe we're getting somewhere finally after I spent a lot of time fighting against Democrats in Congress about 15 years ago on this point. Yes, I'm talking to you, former Congressman Rush Holt. At least a few of them are finally getting it, even as my own home jurisdiction of L.A. County out here is now moving from hand-marked paper ballots to... 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems before the 2020 election, along with, by the way, the entire state of Georgia, various counties in Ohio, Kansas, Texas, Iowa, the entire state of Delaware, and the great city of Philadelphia in the crucial key swing state of Pennsylvania, incredibly enough. Perhaps a few of them uh, might want to pay attention to Wyden's call for hand-marked paper ballots as the only secure way to cast a ballot before they waste a few hundred million dollars on voting machines that will be obsolete and unverifiable from the first day they begin using them. Of note today in particular is Philadelphia, which, as my guest coming up uh, on the ground in Philly will explain, has chosen not only to move from their current really old 100% unverifiable computer voting system to an all-new 100% unverifiable computer voting system before 2020, a so-called ballot marking device, but Philadelphia has chosen the worst possible ballot marking device 
that that they possibly could for reasons that Kevin Skoglin of Citizens for Better Elections and the Protect Our Votes Philly Coalition will explain in a bit here today. And frankly, it will blow your mind, especially since Philly is not the only one to be moving to this insane new voting system that, as we will discuss, is just begging bad guys to use it to change your vote. You'll see what I mean in a bit. In the meantime, though, the U.S. House has passed a bill that would also mandate hand-marked paper ballots. But Wyden's PAVE Act is languishing in the U.S. Senate because Mitch McConnell is blocking any and all measures that could improve election security before the 2020 elections for some reason. Today, a senior member of the Trump administration, however, has announced at least one small measure regarding election security, which I will explain, or at least as much as I know about it, next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Secret Agent Man. Secret Agent Man. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. The nation's top spy has created a new job to coordinate the U.S. response to election threats. Director of National Intelligence Dan Coats announced on Friday that he has established the position of Intelligence Community Election Threats Executive whatever that might mean, and has appointed a career official, Shelby Pearson, to serve in the new role. Pearson will serve as the DNI's principal advisor on threats to elections and matters related to election security, the DNI said in a statement. She will coordinate and integrate all election security activities, initiatives, and programs across spy agencies and synchronize intelligence efforts in support of the broader U.S. government, the DNI said. Uh, now, of course, that's for uh, the U.S. government. That's for foreign threats. That does nothing about local threats, insider threats, but we'll get to that in a moment. In the statement, Coates, a Donald uh, J. Trump appointee, though one uh, who he has reportedly expressed dissatisfaction with to the point that there have been rumors that Coates may be the next one to get the axe. Uh, he said, quote, election security is an enduring challenge and a top priority for the intelligence community. In order to build on our successful approach to the 2018 elections, that's presuming they had one. We can't actually know that, given the voting systems that we use across the country and the lack of post-election verification to assure that computer tallies, even of hand-marked paper ballots, were actually accurate. That successful approach in 2018, continuing that, he says, the intelligence community must properly align its resources to bring the strongest level of support to this critical issue. There is no one more qualified to serve as the first election threats executive than Shelby Pearson, whose knowledge and expert, uh, experience make her the right person to lead this critical mission. Now, I don't know anything about this Shelby Pearson person. 
But if there is uh, no one more qualified for this job, presumably she understands that the only way to assure election results are accurate is to start with hand-marked paper ballots for every voter, other than disabled voters who may choose to use an assistive computerized device to help them fill out a ballot independently. Coates also directed the FBI, the CIA, and other spy agencies to name a single senior executive lead for election security for each agency. Coates' move, of course, comes amid growing concern about foreign threats to the 2020 election and little evidence that the Trump White House is engaged on the issue at all. It also comes amid the continuing threats both from foreign and domestic actors alike to uh, these threats to our elections, threats which we have been warning you about for well over a decade now here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com, particularly since domestic actors, be it election insiders like officials or employees from the private vendors who run most of U.S. elections, Those folks have direct and immediate access to voting systems that is virtually unblockable if they choose to use it for nefarious reasons or even accidental error, except unless we have hand-marked paper ballots publicly examined after the elections by actual human beings. Uh, NBC notes that Pearson uh, reportedly served as the DNI's crisis manager for election security during the 2018 midterm elections, has served for more than two decades in intelligence jobs. Coates also announced the creation of an intelligence community election executive and leadership board chaired by Pearson. Members of this board are senior executives from across the government who will coordinate the response to election threats, according to Coates. But uh, until we can learn more, let's say all of the above is good news for now. More people watching, even from Washington, D.C., is likely better than less oversight. But while the U.S. government is either doing or not doing whatever the U.S. government says it's doing, the real fight remains on the ground, in localities, by the public, in counties and municipalities all over the country. The public must be able to protect and oversee our elections themselves, not count on someone in Washington, D.C., since ultimately only public oversight can assure an accurate result with which the public can have confidence. And that is true, by the way, whether results are secure or accurate or not. If the public cannot know the results are secure and accurate, The threat to democracy is as grave as having an election that is actually hacked or simply tallied in error. To that end, some folks in Philadelphia are taking action on the ground, and maybe they're getting somewhere. That story is next on the broadcast with some stunning news about what is going on in Philadelphia in the key swing state of Pennsylvania. You're not going to want to miss it. Kevin Skoglin joins me next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, organized by election security advocates, 200 Pennsylvania voters filed a petition this past week seeking to force the Pennsylvania Department of State to reconsider its approval of a 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting machine known as a computerized ballot marking device, or BMD, that was selected by local officials for use in upcoming elections in Philadelphia and other counties in the crucial Keystone State. Those machines, the Express Vote XL, made by what the Philadelphia Inquirer accurately describes as the election mega vendor, known as ESNS or Election Systems and Software, those systems have security flaws and do not comply with the state election code, according to the voters in their petition that was submitted by certified mail and email this past Tuesday. Signed by voters from about uh, five or six different counties and the great city of Philadelphia. State law in Pennsylvania gives voters authority to trigger a new state review of previously certified electronic machines. The, peti the uh, petitioners lay out a number of concerns with these systems, including the possibility of attackers altering votes, ballot secrecy being violated by comparing the chronological stack of ballots that are created to the poll books, poll workers inadvert inadvertently seeing voters' choices while trying to help them, and the lack of accessibility for voters with disabilities, which, by the way, these machines are supposed to help, not hurt. They also point to requirements in the state election code that they say the machines do not meet, uh, do not meet at all. An ESNS spokesperson rejected those contentions. He says... That the Express Vote XL protects voters' privacy, is accessible for voters with disabilities, and does not allow manipulation of ballots after they are cast. But of course, ESNS, uh, as you know, if you've listened to this show or read Bradblog.com over the years, they have a long and very well documented history of both lying and of failed elections across the U.S., as, as we have uh, detailed in great specificity for about 15 years now. The system, they say, has been thoroughly tested and proven to be secure and accurate, according to a spokesperson from ESNS, which says they stand behind the security of the Express Vote XL 100 percent. That effort uh, to have these systems reexamined was led by Citizens for Better Elections and a group of activists, the Protect Our Vote Philly Coalition, which has now for months urged Philadelphia election officials not to choose the Express Vote XL. After city election admi administrators chose those systems anyway, 
The activists unsuccessfully called for the decision to be overturned, and then they lobbied other counties as well, but ultimately decided to go to the state. And uh, that's according to Kevin Skoglin, chief technologist for Citizens for Better Elections and a leader in this effort to promote hand-marked paper ballots over electronic machines in Philadelphia and the rest of the state as well. Skoglin said this week, at some point you realize that if the machine is not fit for use by these counties, then it is not fit for use by any voter in Pennsylvania to be voting on. These problems, he says, are severe. Now, all of this comes after 67 counties in the state of Pennsylvania are essentially forced to purchase new voting systems. Some have already done so at the order of the Democratic governor, Tom Wolf. Much of the state has for years used 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen or push button type direct recording electronic voting systems known as DREs that record votes inside the system, either correctly or incorrectly. It's 100 percent impossible to know which, leaving results completely unverifiable after the polls close. Nonetheless, Governor Wolf's mandate for new voting systems did not include a mandate for actually verifiable hand-marked paper ballots, allowing mega vendors like ESNS to lobby counties and cities like Philadelphia to purchase these expensive, unverifiable computer systems for one for every voter at the polling place rather than the simpler, uh, simpler and cheaper and, yes, actually verifiable hand-marked paper ballots for every voter. No computer necessary to fill one out. Pennsylvania and the crucial city of Philly are not the only jurisdictions around the country to be moving to these 100 percent unverifiable systems. As I've long been warning, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, my own home county of Los Angeles, embarrassingly enough, is set to move to such a system before the crucial 2020 presidential elections. Republican-controlled swing states like Georgia are also moving from 100% unverifiable DRE systems to now 100% unverifiable BMD systems, as are counties in Texas, Iowa, Ohio, North Carolina, Kansas, and many other states where the outcome of elections will be crucial to who becomes the next president, not to mention thousands of state and local elections, many of which will determine how U.S. House and state legislative maps will be redrawn and redistricted for the next decade after the 2020 census. Suffice to say, next year's election is important and the ability for the public to know that results have been accurately tallied is even more so. While we have covered the fights over uh, these new systems in states like Georgia and here in Los Angeles, I've had more trouble getting a beat on what is actually going on in Philadelphia and why the hell they are moving to these terrible new systems, particularly in a Democratic stronghold in such an important state for the 2020 elections. But the fact that I've had a trouble uh, figuring out, uh, I have learned, is not entirely my fault. The entire situation in Philadelphia has been confusing and, frankly, very bizarre and remains uncertain to this day, even as they will be having municipal elections in just a few months in November. But that uh, confusion 
is uh, suggested by this petition to the state from those election integrity advocates to decertify or at least re-examine the ESNS Express Vote XL systems chosen by the Philadelphia City Commissioners recently in a very truncated and some have argued unlawful selection process. Here to help us try and get up to speed or at least help wrap my head around Whatever the hell is going on in Philadelphia is Kevin Skoglin. He is the chief technologist for Citizens for Better Elections, which is a uh, nonpartisan group advocating for resilient, evidence-based elections in Pennsylvania. There's a neat idea. The group is also a member of the Protect Our Philly uh, Coalition, and uh, Kevin has extensive experience in software development, cybersecurity, election systems. He is a technical advisor to the National Election Defense Coalition. He serves on the Cybersecurity Working Group for NIST. That's the National Institute of Standards and Technology and their volunteer, uh, their Voluntary Voting Systems Guidelines Group. That's uh, that group advises the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission or EAC to set uh, cybersecurity standards for the next generation of voting machines, though I might add they are taking their sweet time about it as the current federal voluntary voting system standards now in effect date back to 2005. In other words, any states that still bother to comply with the EAC's weak, voluntary uh, federal standards for voting systems, and they are very weak, they're even weaker and more outdated than you may realize since there have been, you know, just a few advances in both technology and ways to thwart that technology in the decade and a half since the EAC last issued federal certification standards for these voting systems around the nation. Kevin Skoglin, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, and thanks for the work you're doing in Philadelphia and, and helping me get up to speed here. I realize this will not be easy, Kevin. And I, I, but before we get to the state's response to your group's petition this week and and what Philadelphia is doing with it, is it possible in, in just a minute or two, I don't know if it is, to explain how the hell the Philadelphia City Commission, which is actually the election commission there in the city, how they selected this particular BMD voting system that, uh, for reasons we will discuss, is actually seen as the worst and most dangerous, I think, of all of the 100% unverifiable BMDs that are out there. Yeah, it's it's hard to sum up in short, but uh, I'll give it a shot. Okay. So... I think the first real critical mistake they made was they didn't get any public or expert input. Um, during 2018, when a lot of other counties were going around asking for expert opinion mm-hmm. and getting public feedback, they didn't do that. Uh, and then at the end of, of 2018, they put out an RFP, which is short for a Request for Proposals. Mm-hmm. That's where they go out to the vendors and say, this is what we're looking for. Here's the criteria you need to meet. Give us your best bid. Mm-hmm. And they put out that RFP and had a very short timeline. It was a two-month turnaround, one month for the vendors to respond, one month for them to evaluate it. So the whole process was very rushed. And it was clear to us right from the start, right from reading that, that RFP, that the criteria that they had put in there were skewed towards this particular machine. There was no criteria for things like security and resilience mm-hmm. and accessibility, things that we would expect to see in RFPs in other counties. And instead, they said, essentially, we want something that looks the same, that takes up the same space in the polling place as these old, huge machines that we have now. Mm -hmm. And there's only one of these 
machines that's that big and takes up the same space in the polling place. It's this Express Vote XL. Made by ESNS, the nation's largest voting system company, by the way, who does a lot of uh, lobbying and whining and dining of election officials and you know flying them out to Las Vegas on, on junkets and everything else. So the uh, commission, which is a, a three-person commission in, uh, in Philadelphia, is that correct? Yeah, the way it works in Philadelphia is there's something called the city commissioners, mm-hmm. and they serve as the board, the board of elections. So you can think of it as just the board of elections, and it's a three-person board mm-hmm. that uh, then is in charge of voting systems. Uh, they had a selection committee that they, they appointed to do this evaluation, but the fix was already in. They had already put it in the RFP that 30% of the score was going to be based on these criteria that only one voting machine could make. Well, do you have any sense of... Why? Why they uh, really wanted this specific machine from ESNS, such that they wrote the RFP in a way that it could only essentially be uh, be met by ESNS? You know, that's a big mystery. We're still not completely sure. One reason is because they were running for office. Uh, they're going to be on the ballot this November. Mm-hmm. And one provision in the election code is that if you're running for office, you have to step down from your role on the election board. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to hurry up and make a choice so that they could step down and run for office. And so I think that's part of the reason they thought this would be the easiest. I think they may have thought this is closest to what we have now. It'll be the least you know, trouble. We won't have to think about the processes and potentially reconfigure polling places or any of that kind of business. We can just you know, make the choice and move on to, to campaigning. But one of the results of this selection, this you know, caused a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. One of the results was that the city controller who's sort of like an auditor. She's in charge of Mm -hmm. of looking at all of the purchases in the city and making sure that everything is done fairly. She launched an investigation of the results. So she's looking into it currently um, to see why is it that they did this and was it all above board? Because there's certainly a lot lot that smells here. Yeah, there certainly is. And uh, from my reporting as well, I've uh, come to understand that the uh, state uh, is not called attorney general. I'm, I'm forgetting what it's called out there in auditor, in general. auditor general in Pennsylvania uh, is also looking at the uh, process, this particular selection process with some questions about it. Uh, that said, to get to the actual concerns of these voting machines, I mentioned uh, that, that uh, your group, a uh, number of groups actually band together to to find file this citizen's legal petition with the state asking for a re-examination of this particular system, the ESNS Express Vote XL, for about 10 different reasons. Most of them, it seems, have to do with uh, violations of various state laws, various state requirements for voting systems. So I'm not going to go through uh, all of them right now. I'd like to, for the moment, Hit the very first one that you guys list, which should be alarming, not just in Philadelphia and around Pennsylvania, but for any state who would consider using one of these uh, systems, this XL vote, uh, express vote system that's uh, described as an all-in-one system. It both prints the vo- it's a touchscreen that both prints the selections for uh, th- that the voters make on the touchscreen. It prints them onto a paper ballot and then or a paper ballot summary card, I guess we should call it, and then that summary card is scanned by a separate computer that works with the same machine. What is the problem? What is the concern with uh, a system like that, Kevin Skoglin? Yeah, so up until this kind of recent generation of machines, we always had separate 
computers. We had a ballot marking device that would mark a ballot or a piece of paper and that would you take over to scan in a separate machine. Mm-hmm. And this ExpressVote XL is not the only one. Um, the, there's also the Dominion ImageCast Evolution is mm-hmm. another one. It's an all-in-one voting machine that both marks and tabulates. So they call it an all-in-one hybrid machine. Mm-hmm. And after this machine was certified in Pennsylvania, security researchers determined that there was a big flaw in these machines. And that flaw is that they have a single paper path. And what that means is that it takes the paper, the blank piece of paper, mm-hmm. it sends it to a printer, you make your selections on the screen, it mm-hmm. then prints those on the piece of paper, puts them back in front of the voter so that the voter can look at them and say whether or not they're happy with those selections. And once the voter says, yes, this is the ballot that I intend to cast, mm-hmm. I'm happy with these selections, and they press a button on the machine, it sends that card back through the same printer again before it goes to the tabulator. And that's just a software-controlled printer. Uh-huh. So that, that means the machine has the opportunity to mark on that ballot, potentially changing votes on it, invalidating votes on it, adding votes to it, uh, basically you know, changing what the voter cast. And the voter would never know. And let me just sort of underscore uh, underscore what you're explaining here, because we've talked about, you know, we, we've spoken with uh, folks like uh, Rich DeMello from the uh, from Georgia Tech, who has been warning about the fact that people don't verify their computer marked paper ballots. And even when they do, they often get it wrong. They don't notice when the computer has flipped uh, results. But what we're talking about here is the computer marks the, the the voters choices supposedly correctly sends it out to the voter to to get a look at the voter uh, approves it or not and if they approve it it then goes back through that same path where it was printed the first time and what you're saying Kevin Skoglin and and other uh, uh, cybersecurity experts as well that at that point when that paper goes back through new marks can be added to the ballot before it is then before it then goes into the box and the voter would never know. I understand that correctly. That is absolutely right. The voter can do everything that's asked of them, everything right. They can verify that ballot and it still might not end up being the vote that gets cast. Uh, And this this (laughs) is a violation of a fundamental principle of being able to audit these paper ballots. And it's the whole reason we're going to paper ballots is to have good evidence of what the voter intended. And so a fundamental principle of that is that there shouldn't be any possibility of altering that paper evidence. You shouldn't give the computer a second chance to change that ballot before it's actually cast. That's right. It seems like a no-brainer. I can't even believe that a system like this was developed in the first place, much less certified uh, by the state, by any state who actually looked at this and would not notice this as a concern. Now, uh, as of yesterday, uh, when we spoke on the phone, you say that the the state uh, has now granted your petition to re-examine. Is that correct? They've told uh, press outlets that that's what they intend. They released a statement to press outlets saying that they do intend that. Well, that's good news, I think. But uh, what happens now if the state actually decertifies the system that Philly has just selected through this uh, very fat, truncated process? Uh, they're already planning to use the, uh, th- these machines this November, as I understand it, in municipal elections. You've already had primaries that were run on the old push-button system, uh, but they're going to—they're set to be used for municipal elections as sort of a test run for next year's presidential election uh, this November. Is that correct? 
uh, they'll, they'll be used for the general election for for all voters for this general election. Um, that's the the intention. Yeah. At but if they if this is decertified, then they would have to you know make other plans for this November and pick a new voting machine to comply with the directive to pick something by the end of the year. Is there even time to do uh, well? A a legitimate review of the uh, system that you're requesting that was that is currently planned for use in Philly. Is there time to do a proper review before the uh, November municipal elections and? If it is decertified, will there be time to put another system in place, or do they just go back to the old system? That I don't know. I don't know what's, what their resources are and what would be possible. Now, Pennsylvania, of course, Kevin Skoglin, was one of three states, as I'm sure you know, with uh, along with Michigan and Wisconsin, that reportedly flipped for the first time in decades from Democratic to Republican in the 2016 election to give Donald Trump his electoral college victory, uh, though the public was never allowed to actually hand count the ballots in those three states because hand counts uh, filed by uh, filed for by uh, the Green Party uh, candidate Jill Stein, they were blocked in all three states, essentially, despite the fact that had just three votes in each precinct on average across those three states been recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump. She, not he, would be the president now. So how crucial uh, is Philadelphia overall to the statewide results in in Pennsylvania? How many voters are we talking about there? How can that affect what happens in the statewide election? It is it is one million voters, one million registered voters, and it's one eighth of the entire state of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. It's one eighth. So between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, it's about a quarter of the entire Commonwealth. So a few votes one way or another, uh, either nefariously or accidentally in Philadelphia could certainly skew the results of a close statewide election there, right? It's, it's a million votes. I mean, that is that is significant. I know that under uh, Pennsylvania law, absentee voting is is not very easy. You have to give an excuse, I think, uh, of some sort to be allowed to do so. But those systems, the absentee ballots uh, in Pennsylvania, if you're allowed to use them, they're they're hand marked paper ballots, are they not? They are, and that was you know that's not in our petition because our petition is really focused on the legal aspects of mm-hmm. the flaws in this particular machine. Right. But it was one of the many issues we raised during our our talking to the city commissioners was the fact that these machines are one of the only machines that don't allow any hand-marked paper ballots. They can't scan them. They scan only these little ballot cards, and they're locked in a box. There's no ability to sort of insert anything else in there, and they scan barcodes only. That's all they're capable of doing. So absentee ballots, emergency paper ballots, or paper ballots that are required by a lot of the legislation that's currently pending at the federal level that mm-hmm. would require some hand-marked paper ballot to be in the polling place, you wouldn't have the ability to scan any of those. And with other systems, even ones that are ballot marking devices, you still have the ability to scan those. But this all-in-one system, it completely locks you out. And by the way, you, you threw something in there, Kevin, uh, that it that it only scans barcodes. Now, we haven't even talked about that yet on this segment. So even if this uh, computer-marked ballot summary card that you get to see, even if you look at it and even if you verify it and even if you verify it correctly and even if you then put that paper back through the same thing that printed it in the first place and it goes into the box and uh, even if it doesn't change your vote at that point, it's not even tabulating 
what you what the voter just approved it's actually going to do its tabulation from a barcode that is printed on the same ballot that no human being can actually read correct that is absolutely right and one of the points in our petition is that the election code doesn't allow for that the election code is very clear that there are some specific types of marks that are allowed it allows you to mark your ballot with an x with a check mark by filling in an oval or making a punch, like an old punch card. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't allow any provision for using a barcode. And I believe that the reason why is because the election code wants your votes to be transparent. It wants the voter to be able to look at them and say, yes, this is the vote that I intend to cast. And then they cast it and the machine reads it. And then an auditor on the other end can look at it and very clearly see what the voter intended to cast. There's not this, this barcode in between. And, and for those who don't know, these, these barcodes, if you take a barcode reader, a lot of cell phones mm -hmm. have barcode readers software you can get for them. Mm -hmm. If you scan one of these barcodes, it's not like it has the candidate's name in there. Right. What it contains is a six-digit number. So that's it. It's a six-digit number that means nothing to you. It means right. something to the system, right. but it means nothing to anyone else looking at it. So it, it is a mark that is completely non-transparent. You know, Kevin, I have spent many, many years uh, reporting on this stuff. And when I would uh, detail things like this, of course, people thought I was nuts. And, and I hope that people live listening, and I may be nuts, but I hope that people <laughs> listening to this segment because more Americans are finally beginning to get it, are finally beginning to understand how insane this is. I, you know, they used to call me a crazy man for, you know, the, pointing these things out. Oh, it's not that bad. It is that bad. It is that insane. And we're not even going back to a time when, you know, people really didn't understand. They didn't uh, appreciate the threats that are out there. Philadelphia chose this new system that we have just described in February of this year, correct? That is correct. I, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking. I don't know what they're paying attention to. The reason I had asked Kevin about that absentee uh, paper, uh, hand-marked paper ballot system, could that not be used across the state of Philadelphia? It's already in use in the city for absentee ballots. Couldn't that be very quickly put into practice uh, for the state of Philadelphia? They already know how to use it. Uh, the city of Philadelphia, they already know how to use it. They've been using it for years. Wouldn't that be a perfectly acceptable uh, replacement to the unverifiable systems you have been using and these terrible new systems you're planning on using? Absolutely. And that's what we were trying to encourage them to do all along in this process, not only to have a, a fair, unrushed process that had public involvement, but to have hand-marked paper ballots. Other big cities do it. New York does it. Mm -hmm. Boston does it. Baltimore does it. Chicago's about to switch to it. It's not like because you're a big city, you have to you know, do something different, mm -hmm. right? This is something that, that big cities do all the time. And it's half the price. I mean, the, the price tag on this is just staggering. Yeah. These are the most expensive voting machines that there are. The, the price tag is $8,500 per machine. And then if you buy it through the, like the CoStars program that they have in, in Pennsylvania, cooperative buying program, it's like $9,000 each. So the total for, Pennsylvania, for Philadelphia is going to be $29 million. That's what these voting machines are going to cost. Whereas a hand-marked paper ballot solution mm -hmm. is going to be in the $15 million range. And that was in some of the proposals. I mean, so those aren't just made-up numbers. The proposals actually had those numbers in them, and they chose to go with a system twice the price. And, you know, you, you sort of uh, detailed a, a 
uh, let's call it the least nefarious reason. Oh, they're running for election. They're going to have to uh, step down temporarily from the board while they run for reelection this year. So they wanted to just do something quickly and put it in place. But in fact, you know, if they loved ESNS so much, ESNS also makes optical scanners. And in those cases, instead of buying uh, a, a computer for each voter, actually with these all-in-one systems, is two computers for each voter who's voting. Instead, you buy one optical scanner for the entire precinct, and then everything else is is, uh, is paper and pens. ESNS has systems that do that that could meet those criteria and would also meet the criteria from uh, Governor Wolf, who, who mandated uh, these new systems, correct? Brad, ESNS offered that system to Pennsylvania in their proposal, to, to Philadelphia in their proposal. They weighed that against this other system. This is nuts. Uh, this is nuts. And uh, frankly, while it's a, a, a local issue for you, I know, Kevin, uh, it's a national issue for all of us, given the what I mentioned about the presidential election and how crucial the Keystone State was to that back in 2016 and no doubt will be again in 2020. Last thought for now, uh, Kevin, g- given the other the, given the other BMD systems that were chosen by cities and counties and that they're also 100 percent unverifiable. I mean, we're focusing on the Express uh, Express Vote XL. But just to be clear, all BMD systems are equally unverifiable. Am I correct about that, Kevin? Yeah. What, you know, what I like to say is that the whole reason we're going to any kind of paper, whether it's paper ballot or paper record or anything, is we mm-hmm. want to have evidence, right? Evidence is, is the reason. So we can have something to recount and to audit. And so then we have to ask, well, what is the quality of that evidence? Because not all evidence is equal. And we know that from mm-hmm. the judicial system, right? DNA evidence is stronger than other forensic evidence. Uh, video evidence is stronger than eyewitness testimony. Mm-hmm. The difference here is that with a hand-marked paper ballot, the voter is directly verifying their intention as they mark each of those ovals. Mm-hmm. They, they are producing good evidence. There's very little distance between them and that durable record. But with a ballot-marking device, you're putting a machine in between the voter and that evidence. And that machine is not as reliable. That machine can malfunction. It can fail to, to even boot mm-hmm. up. Um, it can be manipulated. Right. And that adds then this extra step, this verification step at the end, because now the voter has to not only create the evidence, they have to make sure that the machine did its job correctly. They have to verify that evidence. So there's this extra verification step. And as I'm sure Rich DeMillo has probably been on your show mm-hmm. and, and said, the problem is that voters just don't do it. Right. He, he did a study and, and determined that something like 50% of voters even bothered to look at it. Right. And if they're not verifying that that's correct, then it's not very good evidence. And even if and, they do verify it's correct, we can't know after an election whether they did or did not. So we're all right. left in the dark afterwards. And so that's sort of my concern, uh, Kevin, is that... Uh, you will be successful, that they will perhaps decertify this particular ex, uh, Express Vote XL made by ESNS, and that the city will then choose a different BMD system. I'm wondering, what, you know, that is damn near as bad. Uh, maybe doesn't have that, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to reprint through the same paper trail. But, sure. Uh, but that they'll choose another BMD. Is there any reason that you know of why Governor Wolf did not mandate hand-marked paper ballots for all voters other than for, you know, disabled people who choose to use an assistive device? 
I do not know why. I, the position all along from the governor and the Department of State has been that counties should be allowed to choose for themselves. And I don't know why they decided that that was their approach, but that's the approach that they're taking. Well, uh, given what we know, and frankly, given the fact that Governor Wolf is a Democrat, it seems like he should know uh, that at this point, only hand-marked paper ballots uh, have a shot of being uh, accurately, uh, uh, you know, known to be tabulated correctly. Uh, Kevin Skoglin, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing out there. I'm so glad we are in touch. I hope you will stay in touch regarding this mess, and it really is a mess in Philadelphia and across Pennsylvania. It's really important uh, to the entire nation. Is there any way that uh, listeners... Uh, whether here or in Pennsylvania, uh, can somehow uh, help you guys help your efforts at Citizens for Better Elections or Protect Our Vote uh, Philly Coalition? I think the biggest thing is to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, either uh, Citizens for Better Elections, CB Elections on Twitter, mm-hmm. or POV Philly, and keep in touch with informa- information there, amplify the message that you see, um, pay attention to these issues and you know talk to your local officials officials about it because this is not just unique to Pennsylvania. We happen to be on a sort of buying spree at the moment because everyone's required to upgrade. But this affects other states as well. Delaware is using this same Express Vote XL machine statewide. Mm. Um, New Jersey is buying it for a number of counties. So this is not just a, a Pennsylvania-only issue. No, it's not. And it's not going to be solved by uh, folks in Washington, D.C., no matter how many cybersecurity officials at the uh, CIA and FBI and DNI that they put on this. This is up to us. This is up to we, the people. Kevin Skoglin is the chief technologist for Citizens for Better Elections. Uh, you can follow their work on the Twitters at CB Elections, as he says, and Protect Our Vote Philly is POV Philly on the Twitters. You can find both of them on Facebook. Kevin, really appreciate you getting us up to speed here, and I suspect I will be bothering you again in the not-too-distant future as this as this moves forward. Please stay in touch. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. Okay, I got to get out. I am running (laughs) late. Yes, you do. Yes, you are running late, but because you won't say it, I will. Happy birthday, Brad. Thank you for working (laughs) on your birthday. Thank you very much, Desi Doy, and also for working on my birthday. My birthday <laughs> wish, uh, just five people. Five people stop by bradblog.com slash donate and sign up for a monthly sustaining subscription. That's all I ask. There Is that you too go. much to ask? Happy birthday. Thank you very much, Des. Uh, you, uh, yes, thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am Brad at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.